And in John 18, verse 28, that's where we're going to pick up. Last week we looked at the denials of Jesus, how Peter denied him, how Annas denied him, how the, the guard punched him, and all these denials were taking place. And today, because I'm, because I'm so deep, I just call this one the truth of Jesus. Okay? So that's what we're going to see. Read John 18, verses 28 through 40 with me. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to them, What is truth? After he had said this, Pilate went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Lord, I pray that, that we do and we trust your word in this way. That you sanctify us in truth today. Your word is truth. Lord, help us to understand what we cannot understand on our own. Help us to see how it applies to our lives. But Lord, I pray that we are reminded of the great sacrifice of the King for His people and His humility in this moment. Lord, help us to not only know the truth, but to be convicted by the truth and to act on the truth. Lord, we love you. Amen. All right, so let's start moving through this text. Three points, okay? Three sections that we can look at because you've got to do three. All right, first off, there's the interim with Caiaphas, which, by the way, is not in John. Okay, so I don't know if you remember this, but the last time we saw him, Annas had Jesus and he sent him to Caiaphas. And now it picks up right here and Caiaphas is already sending him to Pilate. So what happened with Caiaphas? So we're going to look at that. Then we're going to look at the discussion with Pilate and then really the, the person of truth. All right, so you're with me. Let's go. The interim with Caiaphas. I do think that we actually need to know this. Even though we move through John and we keep moving through John, let's take a break and go to Matthew chapter 26. Because he was already on trial with one high priest who sent him to Caiaphas, and then John leaves that out. Why John left that out, scholars have, have speculated. I think that uh, we really have to step back and at some point go, we don't know because we're not John and we're not the Holy Spirit. But we do know that Anna sent him to Caiaphas, and from here we get Caiaphas sent him to Pilate. So what happened at Caiaphas' house or in his quarters? Matthew 26, verse 57. This, by the way, 
is why we need four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because each one offers a unique perspective that when they come together, they form a more whole picture for us. So here's what, here's what John didn't tell us. 26, 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard to the high priest. And going inside, he said with the guards to see the end. Now listen to this. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you've said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You've now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Now listen to this. Then they spit in his face and struck him. Some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? So what are some things? We, we miss this whole thing in John, right? If we just read John, we know that he goes to the high priest Annas, who kind of just has that title that carries on with him. And then we miss this scene. But a few things that we can catch here. Number one, Jesus is actually brought to Caiaphas now. We actually get to see that. But what's interesting is that Caiaphas already has the leaders with him in this moment. They've already gathered at night. And as Jesus goes in there, he's treated as one who's already guilty. He goes to this trial, which, by the way, is illegal. They can't do this at night. They can't hold a trial at night, and they can't question and execute a judgment in the same night. All of this is against Jewish custom and law. So that's what I want you to see. They are seeking false witness. The religious leaders are seeking false witnesses about Jesus. All of this from the very beginning... It's about evil and their own intent. There's nothing just about what's going on here. And Caiaphas is the high priest. He's the one who's a religious leader. He steers the ship of Jerusalem. They look to him for what is righteousness, and this is righteousness in the world. Righteousness in the, wor- in the world is that they would bring Jesus in and seek false, false testimony, break their own laws for their own, own intent. So what, what kills me is you know, this nation that God created and redeemed and rescued over and over again, and He calls His own, they with evil intent and in their heart bring in Jesus to justify a reason to kill Him. Like, none of this is new, by the way. Like, they knew that they were going to kill Him. In John eleven fifty three. 53, so seven, seven chapters ago, but for us, that's been like seven months ago. Okay, but seven chapters ago, listen to this. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Everything that's going on is according to their plan. But remember what we talked about last week? It's according to God's plan. None of this is out of God's control. This is all perfectly fulfilling Scripture. Now, I want you to see this. They said he committed blasphemy. This is why they want to kill him. For us as believers, we already know the answer to this, but has he committed blasphemy? No. But to them, he had. 
And that's what they were waiting for. They wanted to see him commit blasphemy, but they cannot see that he is the Messiah because they refuse to believe that he is the Messiah. I mean, he fulfills all of Scripture that we so clearly see now, but you and I need to be careful. We only see it clearly because the Holy Spirit is in us and says, see Jesus. The Holy Spirit in us removes the veil so that we can understand Scripture so much clearer. The danger you and I have is sometimes we think, oh, I figured it out. Like I've said in, said in church long enough, I've heard enough Bible stories. One night I was reading my Bible and all of a sudden, brilliant in the moment. Now what happened was that the Holy Spirit removed a veil and said, do you see Jesus now? And we can't unsee Jesus once we see Him. Once we see Jesus, we have to do something with Him. We either accept Him or we reject Him. And they... They refuse to believe. Their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. And that's scriptural, by the way, that the God of this world can blind. The God of this world would be Satan, and he has power, but they just can't see it. They don't get it, but they are fulfilling the evil desires of the evil one, and they're doing by their own evil intent. So this is all going on. He is not committing blasphemy is what I want you to hear. He's not committing blasphemy because of this. This is so simple, but hear me. Because He is the Son of God. He really is the Son of God. They couldn't believe it because they didn't want to believe it. They wouldn't accept it because they couldn't accept it. And then that's vice versa too. Like they are not going to accept who Christ is. But I want you to know He really truly is the Son of God. He did not commit blasphemy. They wanted a different Messiah, a different Lord, a different son of God than who he was. I put it this way, loving themselves more than God, they cannot accept him. And honestly, y'all, that's ultimately what's at our heart too whenever we reject Christ. The reason that people reject Christ is because they love themselves and they love sin more than they could ever love Christ. They don't see the beauty of who he is. They don't see the need of who he is. They don't see the Savior high and exalted. What they see is, What's it going to cost me? It's not worth that. And that's where the, the, the council was that night. The Sanhedrin breaking its own law for its own sake. Christ becoming a curse of the law for our sake is what's going on in this whole scene. Remember, all of this as we walk through it the next few weeks, it's all by God's design. It should break our heart. It should It should make us question, well, why doesn't he just call down the angels? Why doesn't he just stop it? Why does he allow himself to be spit upon in the face and struck? Now, if we only use John, only one officer struck him. Whenever we bring in Caiaphas' counts on the Sanhedrin, whenever they come together, all we know is that they struck him and spit in his face. So we don't know how many actually hit him or struck him. But what I want you to know is he took it. He stood silent before his accusers for the sake of God's plan. Okay, so all of that said, I want to bring it back. Go to John 18. We need that piece from Caiaphas to understand what all's transpired before they get to Pilate. Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, the high priest, those are Jews. They are the Jewish, so he's on a Jewish trial, and they determine that he must die. So, Why don't they kill him? Now they're going to send him to Pilate. Pilate is a Roman governor. All right, so they send him to Pilate, and they're going to do this for two reasons. Number one, they have to have his approval for Jesus' death. 
Like they need his approval. They don't just get to kill whoever they want to. If they kill whoever they want to, then they got to answer to the Roman government. But number two, this is what we need. It had to be the Romans who would kill him so that he would die the appropriate way. The Romans were masters of execution. And the Jews knew that if they turned Jesus over to Pilate and the Romans killed him, that he would hang on a tree. He would hang on the cross. They knew that. That's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus humiliated. They wanted him disavowed. And so they needed Pilate for two reasons. One, we need him dead and we need your approval that he's going to die. And number two, we need you to kill him a certain way. This is how we need this to happen. Because according to Jewish law, his death would have been by stoning. Which means that they would have taken him out, each grabbed their rock, and they could throw it, or they could pummel him with rocks. That's how he should have died, if it's blasphemy that they're killing him for. But they wanted more than that. They wanted, his, they wanted ridicule cast on him. Because he had come in, and if he really is the Messiah, get this, if he truly is the Messiah and truly is the Son of God, and they, they say, yes, you really are the Messiah, then everything that he just said is counter to everything of who they are and what they've done. So either he has to be truth and we're the liars, or he's a liar and we're the truth. It's a choice of God or man again. But Jesus knew he would die this way. We're going to look at those scriptures here in just a second. God knew he would die this way. They wanted him to die this way. It's all in accordance. That Jesus would bear the wrath of God and the wrath of men so that we could sit right here today and glory in who he is. Isn't that cool? I mean, the cross, which is so ugly and which is so horrific in history, is so glorious to believers right now that we look at it and we don't see the pain and suffering. We see the redemption of God on our behalf. Okay, so y'all, we're going we're gonna to do some Bible Olympics, so hold your place there. Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to be lifted up. He had to be hung. This is all going to happen by the Romans, though, at this point. The Jews are handing him over. All right, so go to Deuteronomy 21, 23. Going all the way back to the law. Because it's in the law that we see the promise of our Savior. Right, so I'm even looking at my young believers. Like I know i got some in here who, who know the words. They've been sitting in church. Some have made professions of faith. What I want you to hear right now, young believers, is this. That Jesus' death was completely in His control. Okay? God promised from the beginning that there would be a Savior as early as Genesis 3. In Deuteronomy 21-23, though, when God's given that law, I just want you to have that passage, because, and I'm going to summarize it for you, but it claims that anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. Cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. And so... The reason for this, I just want you to have that passage, and then we're now, now that you're there, I want you to jump all the way to the New Testament. So there's our Old Testament linchpin. We're going to go all the way to Galatians chapter 3, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Okay, so keep going past there. And then as Jackson has told me, you get to your letters. God's electric power company. All right? Galatians. What is it, Jackson? Galatians? Ephesians? Ephesians Colossians? Colossians. No, no, Philippians, Colossians. Yeah, God's Electric Power Company. Right, so that's how you can remember some of your shorter letters. Okay, so now that said, Galatians chapter 3. I want to talk to you about Deuteronomy 3 while you're flipping, or Deuteronomy 23. 
The reason it said, curses any man who hangs on a tree, is that was for convicted, um, convicted people who had died. And then to make a show of force, they would hang them on a tree. And it was a curse to that person, but it was a reminder to everyone, don't break this law or this will happen to you. All the good that you've done has been taken away and you are now hated and despised and rejected by everybody. This is what we think about you even after your death. That's the curse of Deuteronomy 23. So then, Galatians 3.13. Y'all, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, here it is, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He became a curse for us became a curse for us and redeemed us from the curse of the law. It's really cool as you, as you learn the Old Testament, how much more enlightening the New Testament is of all that Christ accomplished. His hanging on the tree, like I said, His hanging on the cross had to happen. Listen to, listen to Matthew 20, 18 through 19. Jesus says, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, I... The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and He will be raised on the third day. Remember what we looked at last week, or I'm sorry, a couple weeks ago, Jesus knowing all things that were about to happen to Him. stepped forward and said, Who do you seek? This shows us in Matthew, even before the guard, He knew everything that would happen to Him. He said, look, we're going to go up there and I'm going to be given over to the chief priests and the scribes, which is where we are right now. And they're going to condemn him to death, which, which they just did at Caiaphas' house. They're going to deliver him over to the Gentiles, which is Pilate. He's in charge of the Gentiles in this area. And then he's going to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Right now, we're just to the mocking. Next week, we get to the flogging and the crucifixion. He lays it all out. He says, we're going to Jerusalem. By the way, here's everything that's about to happen to me. He knows. John 3, 14, two verses before, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Two verses before that, here's what Jesus told him. As Moses, not you Moses, but as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So, y'all, that's what John 18.32 means. Go, to, go back to John. We're going to camp out in John the rest of the time. I've had you flipping here and there. Go back to John 18. We need to know Caiaphas' scene to understand John 18.32 the most, I think. Because John 18.32, that's where it says, let me, let me find it right here. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. It's all right in line. Right. All of this, this whole scene comes down to evil men with evil intent. They hung a holy Christ on the tree so that he would be our curse. Warren Wearsby, just so you understand how far off they really were to fulfill their agenda, he says this way, Much has been written about illegal aspects of Christ's trial. It was held at night, which it shouldn't have happened. The prisoner was assumed to be guilty and treated that way, which it shouldn't have happened. They hired false witnesses, which should have never happened. The judge permitted the prisoner to be mistreated while bound, which should have never happened. The court allowed the accused no defense, which should have never happened. After the secret night trial, which should have never happened, then these 
Crafty religious leaders then take him to Pilate so that he can be put to death. Okay, discussion with Pilate. So everything now shifts, and we're in Pilate, Pilate's court, and Jesus is going to have a discussion with him. Now, if you know me, don't worry. Every, every question of Pilate's does not have 15 minutes kind of describing, okay? But he does ask three questions that, that we need to consider because it does help us. But I want you to know this. The problem with Pilate, because I've had this discussion with people, is Pilate says he's not guilty. So he's okay, right? He's, he says, I find no guilt in him. Are you sure you want me to kill him? I find no guilt. He even tries to release Jesus, but they won't let him. So is Pilate okay? No. Pilate's not okay. Pilate, Pilate really, he's a pretty weak, indecisive political man. He sees enough of Jesus, and I think he even believes in the innocence of Jesus, but he does absolutely nothing with that. In fact, Scripture tells us that Pilate released Jesus, I'm sorry, Pilate turned Jesus over to death because of the people. So you and I can make the easy correlation that we can believe everything about Jesus, but if we're not living it out with others, then what do we really believe? He really comes down, he's got claims and no action. He ultimately is going to hand Jesus over, so we've got to quit giving Pilate a free pass here. Pilate is also known historically to be a people pleaser. He wanted to please the crowds. He was not popular with the Jews. This is a way to appease them. Yes, he is in a rock and a hard place. I get it. Because here's Jesus. I don't know know what the siren is that I hear. Um, He is not convinced that Jesus is guilty. So he tries to go out to the Jews. He tries to reason with them. He even does this several times. And ultimately, he just finally gives the people what they want instead of honoring God. Yeah, really quick, pastoral second, let's not be like Pilate, right? I think you've already heard that. Okay, he's going to ask him three important questions. Number one, are you the king of the Jews? Then he's going to ask that a little bit later. He's going to say, so you are a king. Number two, he says, what have you done? Your own people have turned you in. What have you done? It's an important question. Number three, what is truth? Those are his questions. Now, Jesus' response. I loved how Jesus always just so simply answers a question that anybody asks him. But let's take a look at this one. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asks him. And Jesus' reply is not yes or no. His reply is, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it about me? Why are you asking me? I've had people who will ask me a question just like they'll ask you. They'll be like, so what do you think about? And I'm like, why are you asking me? Like you feel like it's a trap. Okay, Jesus doesn't feel like this is a trap. Jesus is just flat out saying, basically, Pilate, do you really believe I'm a king or are you just bringing an accusation forward? Like, do you really want to know what I'm going to say? And of course, Jesus, Jesus does know. But I think more important too for us is this. Pilate, if Jesus says he's a king, Pilate has only one mindset of a king. Pilate's a governor. He reports to a king. Pilate is probably thinking of a political and a military leader. So if Jesus says, I'm a king, then that's what Pilate's going to see. And Jesus is basically getting down to that, look, even if I am a king, I'm not what you're thinking of. And and do you even really believe I'm a king? Or are you just really going to falsely accuse me like that? Pilate does not see a humble king who has an invisible kingdom. He can't see it. People would think it's foolishness for what we're doing right now that the saints of the world would gather together on a Sunday morning to sing together, to pray together, 
to read a word that's been written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago and been questioned by scholars. I mean, this is all pretty silly whenever you get down to it by the world's standards. Y'all, but we serve a humble king with an invisible kingdom. And one day that invisible will be visible. We will be with him forevermore. But they're not going to hear that. Jesus does finally reply to him. He does say, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. So church, yes, he does say I'm a king. Because you know what a kingdom needs? A kingdom needs a king. Kingdom, kingdom, see that right there? So he has to have a dome that he oversees. So Jesus does answer him, but he does it in Jesus' fashion. He's going to make sure that he really gets to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is, do you believe that I'm a king or not? And whether you believe or not, you're not going to see it acted out in this world as you see. But Jesus does tell him, you know what? Look, if I were a king, my people would have been fighting. And what we know is if God's people are fighting, God's people will win and conquer. So what kind of kingdom church do we serve? Listen to this. You and I... Christ's kingdom because he is the king. Here's some quick notes for you. We serve a kingdom in which he is the king and his authority comes from heaven and not from people or men. Right? We serve a kingdom in which there is a spiritual reign under his complete authority. A kingdom that will never end with no term limits, no elections, no boundaries, no resurrect, I'm sorry, no rebellions, no insurrections. This kingdom will contend constantly with the darkness and will never be overcome. But one day this kingdom will reign and the darkness will be put to rest forevermore. We serve a kingdom that spans ages and eras and tribes and tongues and nations. And it reaches to the farthest reaches of all of space that Every continent can be touched with this kingdom and we are welcomed in to the king. That God, the king, he welcomes the humble and the broken wherever they are. We serve a kingdom that encompasses the depths of the seas, the spans of space, all of humanity, the birds of the air, all of creation and the assemblies of angels. This is his kingdom. We serve a kingdom that is unending and whose focal point is God and his throne alone. And here, y'all, is that king being questioned by a proud and weak governor being spit upon and struck. Pilate asked him a legit question. He's like, your own people have turned you over to me. What did you do? Because as you read Pilate, he is, he's right there. He, he really doesn't find guilt in Jesus. So what does he do with that conviction that, that, that makes a difference for him? But I, I, think he, I think he really wants to know, what in the world did you do? That your own people are turning you over to me, and if they turn you over to me, there's only one result here if you're guilty. You know what Jesus answers? He doesn't. And so he starts talking about his kingdom and how it's a kingdom that's... I mean, Jesus just doesn't answer. Because Jesus is notorious... Watch this. He doesn't answer the questions that are asked. He doesn't ask what what people want. He answers the questions that are needed. And so he's redefining what a kingdom actually looks like. And and so he doesn't answer directly, but then he does a little bit later in typical Jesus fashion. You know what Jesus did wrong? Verse 37. So look at verse 37. He tells Pilate later what he did wrong, and it was this. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world. Here it is. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. What he did wrong is that he came and he spoke truth. 
He lived the truth. He called out the truth. He was the embodiment of truth in every thought and speech and correction that he gave. He exposed the lies and the shallow religion of what the Pharisees had made it. And so he came into the world and what he had done wrong is he showed that every man was a liar and that God alone is true. And that what they had been pursuing was completely false. And so what does darkness do whenever the truth confronts it? It fights back. So what did he do wrong? Verse 37, he came and he spoke truth to a rebellious world. And what's the only response they have? Kill him because either he's true and we're liars or he's a liar and we're true and we can't be liars. Too many people look at us. Too many people depend on us. I know, church, we would never do that. We would never put ourselves before the beauty of Christ for our own sake. When we do, though, we repent, we ask God to forgive us, and He says, I will cast your sins away, but go and sin no more. But you and I, I mean, we, just, we just have to be very real in, in this moment. Christ came for a reason. Christ came because we're like Pilate, we're like the Pharisees, we're like the Sadducees, we like to choose our own way. But when the truth of Christ comes into our lives, we have to choose, is He the liar or am I? Is He the truth or am I? That's what we're going to get into. Pilate asks a third question. It's the third point. Pilate says, what is truth? Now, some scholars have said that he asks this sarcastically. They'll just throw, the commentators will throw it in there. He, he doesn't even really care. He says, what is truth? And then he leaves. No, we don't know what Pilate was thinking. We don't know how he said it. Nobody was there. There were no recording devices. YouTube wasn't around. None of those things are there to record the tone of his voice. What we do know is his question, what is truth? I read it, and I actually think it's a genuine question for him. I, I, I read it that way. I'm not as educated as these other men, but, but I think that that's the question for you and me. What really is true? And, and what do we do with that? And Jesus already answered the question because Jesus is now answering the question before it's ever asked. But Pilate said, what is true? And here's what you and I need this morning. The truth is Jesus. I know that's really simple. I used to have a shirt whenever I was in high school and it said Jesus, period. And that was the only design of the shirt. And I remember thinking even then, yeah, that's it. It's just Jesus. But what do we mean about Jesus? Like what really is the truth of this world that they did not like, that they could not accept, and that you and I can rally behind and embrace? It's this, and I, I wrote them down because I don't want to miss any, that Jesus is the long prophesied Son of Man, the Messiah and the last Adam. He is it. I got several though, okay? So Number two, that He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life and He died on a cross in sinner's place. That is truth. It's true that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he bore the wrath and penalty for our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That is truth. It's true, cross life, that he died on the cross at the hands of sinful men according to the perfect plan of God, is what Scripture says. That in crushing Jesus, God would be punishing all of our sins and shortcomings. It's true that after, the, after three days, Jesus rose again in a seat at the right hand of God and is reigning over his kingdom. It's true for you and me right now that He sent His Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we would never be apart from our God. It's true that He not only created us, 
but that he knows our name. Here's our prayers in heaven. That's in Revelation 5. The prayers of the saints are in heaven. That he knows the numbers of hairs on our head. It's true, y'all, that he receives all glory and honor and praise and that every knee will bow to him. And it's true that he is coming again to reign not only in heaven, but on earth. And he'll do it fully. And we will be with him forever and ever. And we will never tire of his presence and we will never be apart again. And it's true church that he is bringing us home. That's the point of his spirit. That even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for he is with us. He really is with us. The Holy Spirit literally, really walks with us. The problem for Pilate and for the, for the Sanhedrin, for everyone back then, for the disciples, is the same problem for you and me. It's not what is truth. We know the truth. We hold the truth up. And the question is, do we trust the truth? Like all those truths that we just listed out, and, and, and thought through, and I could see some of you, it's a, it's a sweet moment whenever, whenever we as saints, and because I, I use the word saints, that's what we are scripturally. We don't always live like saints, but we are saints. We've been redeemed and been made new by Christ. We are His workmanship. But as we remember these truths, what we have to remember is that we don't always trust those truths. Whenever marriages get hard, whenever the darkness seems heavy, and just so you all know, I've had... I'm so thankful for my wife because I have days that are heavy. I have, I have weeks sometimes where she has to just walk lovingly beside me and speak truth. And sometimes I don't, I don't want to hear the truth, but I'm reminded of the truth and I love the truth. But there are times when every marriage will be hard. The days and the nights will be hard and long. Finances will be weak. We will feel like utter failures because we are. But do we trust the truth? that He will never leave us nor forsake us? Do we trust the truth that His throne stands for all of eternity? Do we trust those truths that we've always clung to? Because Pilate heard the truth, saw the truth, possibly, we don't know, but possibly convicted of the truth, but he didn't trust it enough to live it. The disciples, they needed some convincing because they were pretty dense. But they trusted the truth unto their death. question is, can we believe that truth And the truth is simply this. All of those come down to this. All of Jesus for all of his saints for all of time. That's the truth that we have promised to us from Christ and from God throughout the whole Bible. All of Jesus for all of us for all of time. By all of us, I don't mean the world. He's sufficient for the world, but all those who call on his name. So we're going to sing another song of reflection. We don't don't do uh, altar calls um, because we don't have them. But what we do have is an altar of the heart. What we also have, though, is a time of reflection. Because what, what happens is we come in, we study the Word, we hear the Word, we reflect on the Word, we're loving the Word, and then we're about to go out to the world, and the world's going to take the Word from us as much as it can. So it's just a time to reflect on, on whatever God's been doing or, or not doing. But a few thoughts real quick. Number one, you've got to know this. Do you know the truth that Christ is the Savior? Is He your Lord and Savior? We don't do a whole lot of evangelical pushes whenever we're preaching, but that's the core of the truth. That's what Pilate did not get. 
That's what the Sanhedrin did not get. There's the truth. They reject the truth. So we either trust the truth of Jesus or we reject the truth of Jesus. You have to answer for that one. If you have questions on that, see me after. Number two, do you know that that truth really is for you? Do you really trust that truth that we see in Scripture all throughout? And my last one is if you're saying, hey, don't need those, then I think this is completely a God-honoring way to spend our time at the end. Would we simply dwell on the truth that Jesus willingly died and sacrificed Himself for our sake so that we could be redeemed from the darkness? Just dwelling, like learning to stop thinking and just dwelling on that truth and let God do what He's going to do. So, y'all, we're going to pray. If you would, join me in that. Lord God, what is truth? You are truth. Either you're true and everything that you've shown us throughout Scripture is true or, or you're not. Either your word is true or it's not. Either Christ really is the Lord and Savior that he says he is or he's a madman or a lunatic to profess to believe that he's God. But Lord, what we know is true. And the truth is this. That at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And you see us right now, not as sinners who have gone astray, but Lord, you see us as saints who are striving towards you. Thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit helps us to understand Scripture. Thank you that your Spirit awakened our spirits. And thank you that you are, you are calling us home, but you don't just call us home and leave us alone. You lead us. In triumphal procession is what Ephesians says. You are leading us home in a triumphal ceremony. So Lord, thank you that even though we read these dark moments of your life, it's in these dark moments that you have brought light to our lives. Help us to glory in that. May we live for you and make you know. Lord, do your work that we cannot. Amen.